So this man's a dogmatician. He's not a historian. Hey, hey, hey! How's everybody doing? I should have got I should have got Matthew to make a special Vermigli intro. Maybe oh, maybe one day we'll, been good. We'll, we'll collab on a Vermigli intro for every time I have a Protestant on. <laughs> Just to, good. okay. So we're we're going to be talking about um, why is doesn't mean is the entire time, right? <laughs> pro, pro, total yeah. prop move on the on the yeah. Eucharist. Is yes. means is libtard get debunked. Yes, but before that, um, have to take my ad right now. My ad, where is it? There it is. Make sure you watch this ad. Join my Patreon at patreon.com slash militantomist. You get access to more articles and videos. And if you'd like to help in another way, buy a Militant Thomas mug. Lastly, you can buy a book from Militant Thomas Press. See options below. Also, if you prefer audio, check us out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Join the Discord to get involved. And if you're a patron, you can access other Discord channels. Also, destroy that like and subscribe button and comment to annihilate that algorithm. Lastly, the show was brought to you by Fluent Greek. I'm sure you've forgotten your seminary Greek and need to get it back or just want to learn Greek to read sacred scripture in its original language. That's why Fluent Greek is here. Using modern pedagogical techniques, it has set it up so that you are reading Greek from the very beginning. And learn Greek how you're supposed to learn it through reading Greek. It sorts the New Testament by verse from easiest to hardest and then gives space repetition of these verses so that you can read Greek as soon as possible. Even better, it is only 15 bucks a month to use. But if you use the code militant, you can get 20% off and help the show. Go to fluentgreek.com to learn more. And the link is in the description. There you go. And uh, yeah, that right there, Dissertation on the Death of Christ by John Davenant, because there will be Protestants, I'm assuming, watching. <laughs> that, that That's one of the books that I reprinted. So, uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's about all for intro stuff. I got I got tired of having to repeat everything that being like, um, yeah, what do I do? Um, yeah, Dude, that was I like, like a Twitter. I feel bad for the people on two times speed rewatching <laughs> this because I don't ever watch anything non two times speed. So I know gonna be... me too. Me too. I like when when I was reviewing that James White video earlier today, I, I had like the whole thing on one point seven five speed. And I'm like, dang, people are going to. <laughs> gonna be cr- like going crazy watching this back okay how are you doing matthew i'm good uh i've just been chilling i'm on spring break now or it's about to start so that's gonna be good just gonna have a lot of time to just chill and not work on school so yeah uh going partying down in florida on spring break <laughs> no no pro- probably not <sighs> come on matt you got, you got to party it up. It's white boy summer still. Oh, true. Well, you know, white boy winter did just end. So maybe you might have to. Yeah. What is, is it, is winter done now? I'm pretty sure. I think, um, I just know when it gets around like Easter and since we're like Lent started, I'm assuming, okay, it's transitioning to spring. It's, so. it's white boy. It's white boy Lent. I forgot. This is where all the boys <laughs> get, get all penitent and stuff. <laughs> this yeah, is the only time of year we don't hard. smoke cigars. Okay, so yeah. we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about um, reform views on the Eucharist. So this has been a special interest of mine. I've been uh, reading about this issue for for a very long while. One of my professors in in undergrad was was pretty was one of the groundbreakers on the reform view of the Eucharist, trying to reclaim Keith Calvin's. Matheson's. Yes, oh, it was Doctor. Doctor. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Doctor Matheson. Yes, he was. He was one of my professors. <laughs> Wonderful man. Uh, absolutely brilliant. So, so from from then, I, I always heard about this being the reform view of the Eucharist. But apparently, for everybody else, that is not the uh, the idea you'll get when you think of the reform view of the Eucharist. You'll get the idea. Mm-hmm. So let me go in persona papist real quick. So in the person of your average papist, be like. You, you dumb prots, all you believe about the Eucharist is that it's just a symbol. You you don't believe that you receive Christ at all. And it says, this is my body. And have you read John 6? Have you read John 6 I at have all? I never read it. <laughs> have you read, this is my body? That That's what I heard about the, <laughs> is about means the is. Eucharist. 
is means is, man. That's what I heard about the uh, reform view of the Eucharist. But, um, but I knew from my from my background that that wasn't what the Reformed Church teaches. So would you would you like to just enlighten everybody what I had already been illumined by? Would you illumine everybody with the divine truth of the Reformed view of the Eucharist, real quick? Uh, yeah, I would uh, love to do that. And I first would like to just start off by saying it's not just for like. Of course, many of the the Roman Romans who say that aren't actually educated on that topic, but for good reason, they don't actually know what we believe. Because let's be honest, you walk into your average Presbyterian or Dutch Reformed church, and it's basically it's going to be like a memorial meal, and maybe you kind of almost commune with Christ some way somehow. Don't actually read the confessions though, and that's how it usually is. So for the most part, you can't give them too much slack on it. Yeah. And I think that's just currently right now is just a problem with a lot of traditions. Um, I was actually, my mother grew up a very, very devout Roman Catholic. And, um, you know, she's Baptist now because my dad didn't like going to Catholic church anymore. Cringe. So a um, little bit, but it's really funny because she's basically a closet papist because she still will go to mass like every once in a while. Like, actually, she goes to mass like once a month, probably, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, so she's still, like, I basically think she's a closet papist. But um, I was like talking to her about this, because I've been doing a lot of studying and transubstantiation recently, just like reading Thomas and reading different books on it. And I was like, um, one of the books basically said that there's all there's a very common misconception that if you chewed on the host, you're like hurting Jesus, like he's like, yeah. physically cringing and ouchy. And like, uh, in the book, it was portrayed as like, this is like, you know, a big rumor that some Catholics teach us. And I asked my mom, hey, mom, did, were, did you chew on the host when you're a kid or did they tell you not to? And she's like, no, 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 you never chew on the host. That's bad. And I'm like, why? And she's like, the nuns said that it would have really hurt Jesus. So even among like <laughs> on, in every tradition, really, you ask like your average Roman Catholic about the Eucharist. Yes, they're going to say real presence. But for the most part, they'll probably portray it as like a local physical presence. You know, mm. is means is like this is literally Christ locally here. Now, of course, if you read Thomas or talk to any like Roman Catholic priest, they're going to tell you, you know, substantial present, not local. But yeah, I think that this is a big problem just for every tradition right now is that we don't actually read our sources. And because of that, there's big misconstruals. So um, to get from that into what the reform view basically is, it definitely is not mere memorialism. Um, essentially, what a lot of the Reformation debates came down to when it came to this issue of real presence, it wasn't as if they were um, debating over, oh, is uh, Christ present in the Eucharist? For the most part, all of the all the reformers, besides like maybe the Anabaptists, they would say that Christ was present. The debate was over, okay, but is bread present? So that was what was the the deba debate was primarily over because in that day with transubstantiation. Of course, transubstantiation teaches that the substance of bread is like uh, is transubstantiated, transformed into Christ's body. But even the annihilationist theories back then were pretty popular. So like the idea that bread just like ceased to be and then Christ's body like replaced it. So that was what they were fighting against a lot. And so for the most part, the reform view of the Eucharist is that after like consecration, the elements are set aside for holy use and they don't contain Christ locally, which again, Thomas wouldn't say so either, but they exhibit Christ so that those who receive it in faith receive Christ's body and blood. And a big problem that came from this, though, is that there were some, um, and this is a big critique levied at the reform, that would basically say that, oh, so you're saying that your subjective faith is what makes Christ present. Therefore, like, you know, that's like a very like common critique against the reform position. 
And it's not that our faith makes Christ present, rather our faith, our, our faith recognizes the objective presence of Christ and therefore is passive in receiving it. So it's not an active faith which makes Jesus present, but rather it's a faith which recognizes Christ exhibited in the elements and therefore when received in faith, receives the body and blood of Christ. So um, that's yeah, just kind of like off the top of my head. I think when it comes to uh, thinking about the dialogue between uh, Reformed and uh, Roman Catholics, on the on the Eucharist, I think a very important concept that Thomas has outlined. I don't know if you've you've gotten to this is the idea of concomitance. Have you read about mm. concomitance yet? Yeah, where like the bread contains the blood as well. Well, yeah, yeah. There's there's that too, but um, in in the in in the fact that there is the substance of Christ's body, blood, there so also you receive soul and divinity, and and you receive the entire mm. Christ in receiving the substance. And then I first read that, and I was like, man, so. Uh, so, so reading Cranmer, Cranmer kind of talks about how there's a certain virtue which is which is operative, wherein um, in in partaking of this you receive the entire Christ. Like this, this kind of sounds like concomitance to me, because they're not they're not saying all of this is locally present and that there's some sort yeah. of dimensive quantity in the, in the bread, but you receive all that in receiving mm-hmm. in receiving the substance. So, so I think I think that could be an important way forward to realize that in in explaining it instrumentally, both the Reformed and Catholics are explaining it instrumentally. That we're we're saying no in a certain way, like is Christ present? Well, yes, but there's also ways in which we can say no, Christ isn't present. But mm-hmm. we all affirm he's, we're receiving the whole Christ through some sort of instrumentality in the bread. Yeah. So we're all articulating. We're trying to get at the same thing. We're using mm-hmm. uh, very strong linguistic differences and some conceptual differences, obviously. Yeah. But we're all getting at the same thing, and we should we should realize that that we're we're not we're not doing what the uh, what your evangelical Baptists down the street are doing. Yeah. And we're we're not doing what uh, the the nuns are teaching the kids. That's that's not <laughs> that's not what we're doing. We're we're trying to do theology faithfully. We're trying to all say what it mean what is can mean. And mm-hmm. what present can mean, and what Christ can mean, and what body can mean in in this in this whole idea of the Eucharist. So 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 that's that that's where I get I get very annoyed uh, on both sides on both sides yeah. really because there's that like no James White was wrong is that the uh, <laughs> that transubstantiation is one of the most blasphemous doctrines of of Rome like he's <laughs> wrong about that obviously like um, if you, if you have a more classical view I'm I'm, I'm sure you'd You'd be, you'd think that Rome is wrong about transubstantiation, but you'd have, you'd still have yeah. a healthy respect for it. Yeah, I was gonna say that. And I was gonna ask, have you read um, Brett Salkeld's book called Transubstantiation? No. Okay, so in it, he actually, what he does is he like he goes through what Thomas's view is, but then he also goes mm-hmm. through Luther and Calvin, and it's really funny because he makes a case that Calvin and like and Thomas are like so close to each other like arguably closer than luther and like i always kind of thought that way before but like i was a little mm-hmm. too nervous to like get ratioed because i'd, I'd say if i said it i'd get like destroyed i was a little too nervous to say but i was reading i'm like i mean yeah that's that's true if you if you think yeah. about it so yeah i've said I, I it i've said it before on that. i've said it before on twitter that i think honestly <laughs> the the reformed and the thomistic view of the eucharist are because even scotists will get on me about how like non-physical my view of the eucharist is because I'm like Thomas, that this is just how Thomas recognized some of the pitfalls that can happen when when you're when you speak too physically about the Eucharist. Yeah. He re, he realized that you can fall into error in some aspects of that, and that the Father's 
uh, while, while they spoke about it concretely with our reception of it, they didn't necessarily mm-hmm. speak of it um, after a carnal and fleshy manner. Yeah. And that's something I definitely appreciate about Thomas. Now, like, don't get me wrong. I disagree with Thomas's articulation of transubstantiation, even in its, you know, form of reading Thomas and all that. But what I can appreciate is that it is much different than the a lot of what, like, the reformers were encountering this idea that the bread is complete the the substance is annihilated and it said like replaced with the substance of christ's body when in reality thomas seemed to be trying to preserve this uh sacramental sign language by saying the bread isn't destroyed it's just transformed now again i have my reasons for disagreeing with that but i really do appreciate thomas and trying to preserve the sacramental character because like if you read like what berengar of tours was forced to sign that's like it's really it sounds like basically like the the Capernites, I don't remember how to say it, but it's basically like yeah, he's the it's yeah, it's basically saying you literally are like crunching on Christ's flesh and all that. And it's very, very carnal. And mm. it's just it's crazy like reading through it. It's like, wow, they actually made this dude sign that. So Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I probably wouldn't have I probably wouldn't have signed it. <laughs> like <laughs> Thomas, <laughs> Thomas wouldn't have Thomas wouldn't have signed it. it yeah, it, be, because because there's uh yeah, another good work if you're thinking about Gary Lagrange reality a synthesis of Thomas I've seen thought. you talking about him yeah yeah he uh he goes over uh, transubstantiation in here and it's pretty good especially when it comes mm-hmm. to understanding exactly what a substance is but I I get yeah. that it's very hard to have um to have this dialogue between uh between Catholics and Reformed because when because basically what happened if you think about the massive history of Eucharistic thought in the uh in the early medieval period, there um, there began to be the shift from uh, the sign and the thing signified, which is the sacramental language of St. Augustine. And mm-hmm. you get it shifted on over time to the language of substance and accidents. Yeah. And and in this in this shift, there can be a uh, there's there's an interpretation which uh, the medieval fathers take of the earlier fathers. When, when it comes to sign and things signified in a more Aristotelian metaphysical sense. Mm-hmm. And then when it, when it comes to the reformers, they're, they're going ad fontes. So they go back to using this sign and things signified um, type of language, which is perfectly fine. But then you have a, then, then you have this um, difficulty when it comes to communicating between the Roman Catholics who are still using that, uh, using the developed language of, of Aristotelian uh, metaphysics and then on the other mm-hmm. hand, you have the uh, Augustinian language of sign and things signified, which make it very difficult to have this discussion back and forth. Although, yeah. although I'm, I'm, I, I would have to see, because I know when it comes to especially reading, uh, for example, um, Chemnitz, but he's obviously going to have a different view of the Eucharist than you. Yeah. The, the way in which the way in which the fathers are read, it's it just completely different although the conclusions are scarily similar yeah definitely no i I get that with the whole language stuff and especially like just with the rise of like a nominalism that definitely like played a part in the Mm -hmm. in the middle of it but i would even say like before that with um you know, with Berengar of Tours, that completely kind of like, uh, I think of the way Hans Boers was put, says like he definitely helped in tearing apart the sacramental tapestry and all that, because at that point it shifted, it shifted away from sign two things signified. And then Brett Salkeld in his um book, Transubstantiation, he tries to argue that Thomas tries to restore that. But even after Thomas, there's like the nominalists who they kind of like, they're like, you know, consubstantiation.
preach is cool, but we can't believe in that. So we'll just submit to the church, I guess. But yeah, no, I definitely uh, agree with what you're saying there. So how would how would a uh, a reform view like thinking about it like not not a uh, Roman Catholic to, to 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 reform, but within the Reformation? Um, are there are there different views within the Reformed camp of of the Eucharist, or do you have pretty much a a uniformity around around Calvin's view, generally speaking? Um, I would definitely say there is a little bit of diversity, but like it was it primarily would be between like three views, and I can't remember. Okay, so I think Bucer has a very unique view. I have not studied it like at all though, but if I can recall correctly, it's pretty similar to Calvin, but originally you have Zwingli. Now, the thing with Zwingli is that a lot of people get on Zwingli and for good reason for some things. Like I understand I'm reading, um, I don't actually know, oh, I left it out there, but I'm reading a biography on Zwingli and I'm reading through it and I'm just like, this guy's kind of cool. And then like I get to one part and I'm just like, you know, I just, you know, he kind of gets his, me going. His love letters to Erasmus. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah, I, I that got a lot of attention when I posted it. But um, a little sussy. It kind of reminds me of the the Beza poem y'all were reading. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think they just talked a bit sussy back then. But um, yeah, with Zwingli's view, it was very much there was a reception of Christ, but it more was like the same type of virtue to receive from the preaching of the word. That's kind of like what you'd get from the supper. It's not really that unique. Whereas Calvin, he kind of tries to actually, you know, say, no, you actually do receive Christ in his body and blood, like his true body, not a figurative body, not like a symbolic body, not like his like body and spirit only, but you really do receive the true flesh and blood of Christ, which because of its union with the divine is life giving and will like in infuses life into you. That's so, Cyril right there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was definitely familiar there. And um, so Calvin and Vermigli kind of developed that. And I think that that takes over with Zwingli. I mean, and um, and Vermigli's uh, disputation on the Eucharist, he literally has like a, he has a second, like going against the the papists on transubstantiation then he goes over the lutherans but he even dedicates some time to going uh to trying to debunk the zwinglians apparently no not apparently you can see right there he goes over the zwinglian teaching so the zwinglians have been debunked by yeah no he he does try and debunk them but yeah so there's definitely not like exact precise uniformity but what they essentially are very unified on is this Thomistic conception of the idea that bodies cannot be in like multiple places at the same time they yeah. can't like actually transcend that so with um, with the union of human and divine nature there is a communication of attributes where the human yeah. nature does in a sense like it can do things that normal human nature cannot but it can't yeah. like defy nature in this, or it can't like overturn the laws of nature, do something completely illogical. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. would basically be, you it, know, it's like, when it's like when we talk about um, Christ's knowledge, Christ's beatific knowledge, mm -hmm. when, when we talk about that communication of the grace of, of knowledge coming from the divinity to the humanity, we say that it's after the capacity of the humanity, because otherwise, if it's beyond the capacity of what's possible, like let's say when he's like an infant, like the <laughs> Christ has the most knowledge of any infant who has ever existed before, <laughs> like believe it or not. But um, but if if he was to exceed that and just like nail in all the knowledge of like a eight year old man, then like the, the infant wouldn't be an infant anymore. It would go beyond nature and break 
and there, then yeah. you get get into the get into a contradiction, which I think that's the problem with the Lutherans. The Lutherans, they're 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 saucy. <laughs> I've I've tried to I've tried to keep um, talking because this is this is very connected with Reformed Christology is Lutheran Christology, yeah. but I've tried to be as nice as as I can to the Lutherans and try to like see it from their perspective on Lutheran Christology and try to see like how it's patristic. But I just, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't get how, how you could have um, at least a certain relative um, omnipresence or relative ubiquity yeah. of, of the body of Christ that just breaks the nature of a body. Have you read Vermigli's dialogue on the two natures in Christ? I have not, but I should. It's, if you really should, it is really funny because it's like basically it's a dialogue between him and Brens, but he gives them different names or whatever. So he just names some guy one thing and then some guy another. And basically he's like going through Brens's work. And I'm not joking. I think like 25% of the book is just patristic quotations. Like Vermigli mined so deep in patristics and just annihilated Brens. It was, it's like really good. But that like, um yeah, the, the Lutheran Christology is a little, a little wonky in my opinion, for sure. And, um, but that's like what most of the reformed are united around in their Eucharistic theology is like, even Zwingli will like talk about that. And have you, you know who the rapper flame is, right? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's annoying. Honestly, I think, I think Luther, like Lutherans are going to flame me for this, but I, I, I think I'm closer to my reformed brethren than I am for my Lutheran brethren on justification on on the lord's supper like i honestly like yeah you did come I, from I, a reform background so i see sense. myself much closer to the reformed on a lot of issues no i was like one time i was in bed and i was thinking about it and i just was like crap i'm closer to the romanists on some on a lot of things i'm <laughs> the lutherans and i just was like and you know shiver a little bit but it's it's true <laughs> in those regards though but um and uh the reason i brought up flame was because like he like in one of his songs it was really funny. He he like it was like he's like, you know, the whole church believed this for fifteen hundred years until Calvin started imposing like you know his presuppositions on Jesus's metaphysics and all that. And I'm just like, dude, that Thomas did that. <laughs> and then it's like you know the idea that Christ was you know that this was the same thing for fifteen hundred years with the Robertus Retramnus controversy. You could still yeah. argue that there was a real presence there, like genuine, like on. I always get confused who was saying real presence and who like. Was uh, it quote unquote? Ret- Retramnus was the bad one, and Redbertus was a good one because Retramnus starts with rat, and rats are bad. Okay. And Redbertus starts with rad, and rad is Redbertus was rad. Okay. So, yeah, that's one how, of them. That's how I remember it. Yeah, but one of them still, either way, both of them were communicating a real presence. So, but yeah. like with yeah. Berengar of Tours, he was not communicating. Like, I, I don't really think that you could argue he was. It, it, it was Red Tramus and Red Burtis, like all of these winglians will be like, oh, look at look at Red Tramus and Red Burtis. But we mm-hmm. we've I, I've actually read both the treatises from uh from each of I them. It's in them. like it's in a it's in a certain volume. I used to have it. I think I'm gonna have sold it. But they're mm-hmm. they're both good reads. And I think honestly that uh, uh I think it's Red Tramnus, uh Red Burtis. One of them is actually uh is actually articulating something very close to uh to transubstantiation which is interesting mm. yeah but but yeah to the to that to that end um it it's just so such a reductionistic view of of history like that's why when pe- i get so annoyed when people talk about the reformation in the sense of it being a complete novelty like when mm-hmm. you look at every single doctrine which the reformers were standing on whether it was about royal supremacy 
which is which is yes, that's a very central reform doctrine that most people don't. <laughs> the, uh, the in the relationship between the church and the state, when mm-hmm. when when you think about um, about their view of the Eucharist, when you think about um, all of those distinctives that you that, that you'll distinguish between the Romanists and the Reformed. You'll see late medieval representations of each one of these doctrines, even on the canon. Yeah. My favorite one to point out is the canon because people don't know about that one. They'll be like, the yeah. church had the same canon for 1500 years. So I'm like, oh, you want to read Richard of St. Victor on this? Like, like people, people <laughs> don't realize that. But yeah. with, with the Reformation, the Reformation takes some of these uh, late medieval uh, tendencies and then develops upon upon those, which I would say is a corruption. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, I'm not I'm not all like, oh yeah, yeah. the Reformation's great. <laughs> obviously, I'm not like not that. Based. I think it's a corruption, <laughs> but uh, somebody clipped that. But, but there's still there still is these these views of the Eucharist that are being articulated. So if anyone yeah. has this idea of oh for fifteen hundred years this was said blah 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 this way mm-hmm. that's just a, just stop that's just a stupid way of arguing and you're just you're yeah. just setting yourself up to be absolutely annihilated. Yeah, it's kind of like again they're just setting themselves up to be like dunked on. It reminds me of those really like low church evangelicals who will say like the 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 Catholic Church was created at the Council of Nicaea and I'm just like dude <laughs> you want to give them that much room like if that's the case oh crap you're giving them so much room and so much time Get where trolled. like there was no Get gospel trolled. at all like if you, like from their perspective it's like <laughs> you're seeing too much stuff so yeah there's like bad just bad apologetics on both sides and it's it's really it, it can just get exhausted when neither side can like do their research and yeah but so so why just... why would um so how would you distinguish like it in 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 the biblical text let's just let's just start there where where would you find the uh the reform view of the eucharist i think i know where you're going to go for that but where are you going to find the, the reform view of the eucharist best articulated okay so my first thought would definitely be so funny that you mentioned in the beginning of the chat, but John six, I think is very clear that, you know, you eat the flesh of the son of man and you drink his blood and all that. And that's where a lot of the reformers went. So uh, Vermigli rides on that a lot. And a lot of people like to make the point that Zwingli thought this was about the Eucharist while Luther didn't. But if you actually read Zwingli on it, I'm pretty sure he didn't actually think it was about the Eucharist. He kind of nuanced it a little bit. He used it basically as an argument against real presence to like like at all but um the i would definitely say john six about how um you eat the flesh of son of man drink his blood and then first corinthians uh 11 articulates a a clear like that we actually are you know we actually are participating in something some of you eaten and died so i'm not trying to like um i don't have like the verses off the top of my head but you know i think that there's we can prove from scripture that there's a very clear idea that we do partake in christ we eat his flesh mm. and we drink his blood and that this is a real participation especially if you you know see the word participate in a very um greco context you know and you think of platonism there's something going Based. on there yeah so there's a i, I got hans boyer's my pill and i read his heavenly participation so there's oh definitely my. something going on there what? like just just reading just reading the like saint thomas saint thomas was so platonist and people aren't ready to hear mm-hmm. that but i'm ready to say that yeah, like in his concept of in his in his concept of being, like people people are like, oh, you overturned all of all of this for a pure Aristotelianism. Well, who do you know the two authorities that Saint Thomas quotes the most in the Summa? Scripture and the Fathers. Well, when, when it comes to yeah, obviously Scripture is number one, but with the uh, with okay. the Fathers, with, with under the genus of Fathers, 
Number oh, one is is Augustine. And do you know number two? Uh was well, Pseudo Dionysius, right? Pseudo Dionysius. What do those two okay. have in common? <laughs> Platonism. Like over, they're, they're, they're like the they're the Platonism. two strong they're the two strongest Platonists. And if you read throughout the Summa, this this isn't about how the Summa's Platonist, but if you read about throughout the Summa, in, in specifically <laughs> those areas where you would you would think that there would be um, a pure Aristotelian departure uh, in 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 the concept of metaphysics and in, in the being of uh, being as participation and stuff like that. You find Thomas quoting rather than quoting Aristotle, he's quoting Dionysius or he's quoting Augustine in these areas. So that that's just my brief rant. Okay, yeah. so remember send some questions in the chat. I could probably go another like fifteen minutes. So um, so. The, the big objection that you're going to get, and I'm sure you get it mm-hmm. all the time from uh, from all those Twitter papists, is, well, what about the fathers? All the fathers just mm-hmm. believed in transubstantiation. None of them believed in this <laughs> Calvin view of the Eucharist. So what would, what would you say? Um, funny enough, what finally actually got me to start understanding the Reformed doctrine of the Supper was not actually any of the Reformers. And I'm sure the only reason I started to understand was because I had their categories in my brain when I was reading this. So sure, you yeah. know, Papist, I was inserting their categories into the church fathers. Ch- Chad inserts Reformation terms into the fathers. But um, <laughs> actually what finally got me to start understanding what the reformers were saying was I read Augustine's tractates on John and specifically John 6, where he talks about this, um, how you have to bring when you uh do you believe then you've eaten or whatever and he talks about how bring faith to the altar and how the they um those who are unworthy they press the sacrament with their teeth but they don't actually receive the body of christ and in a sense i think it's question 80 of the summa you can still read like that through the lens of transubstantiation because i think thomas basically says that you like non unworthy takers they receive the the sacrament with the substance and all that but they don't spiritually eat i could be wrong do i have it pulled up i don't know I do have it pull up. It'd be uh, question eight of Tertia Pars. Oh, question 80, Tertia Pars. Maybe that's right. Yeah, but um, where is it? Uh, when he when he was looking at something, Augustine said, he said, such words and similar expressions are to be understood of spiritual eating, which does not belong to sinners. So again, that's, I guess, another uh, common um, thing that the the papists have with the reformed is that we both agree that only those who are worthy partakers have a receive a spiritual eating now of course y'all would say they still receive the substance of christ's body and blood under the axioms but we would say that um unbelievers don't even receive any they don't receive christ's body and blood and i think it was thomas uh watson who said that um do not come to the the supper unworthily because if you come unworthily, you do not drink his blood, but you spill it essentially. So that's that's a unique part of the reformed is that we don't believe that unworthy receivers actually uh, partake of Christ's body and blood at all. But to get back to your question with the fathers, instead of going on another tangent, um, what I would do is I would say that if you actually read a lot of the reformers, so specifically Vermigli is like the best on this, in my opinion, like in regards to he in the way he handles patristics because i think this kind of happened on both sides of the reformation but sometimes you see like a reformer quote a church father and i'm and you read him in context and you're like i don't, I don't think this is gonna try to say same thing with um uh same thing with some of the papists too but vermigli almost nearly every time i look at uh bellarmine that dog but every time i um 
<laughs> every single time I like nearly every time I look at Vermigli's quotations of a father's in context, I always am like, well, he, he didn't misconstrue him at all. So again, I would say like, you know, papists tell me, read the fathers. I say, read the reformers. Cause if you actually look at how they use the fathers, there's, they're very familiar with them. They use them a lot. And this may surprise even some, like some of the pop apologist papists, but Zwingli, I don't recall like how many, but I think he had like an entire library of the fathers and he read through them each like three times or something like that. I could be wrong, but he was a very devoted student of the patristic. So when I read the fathers, just because they say, yes, this is Christ's blood, it's like, yeah, that's, yeah, I, I agree in a sense. So, you know, I don't think that the fathers are hold up for the question of the reform view of the Eucharist. I think, I think it comes down to uh, understanding this uh, sign and thing signified mm-hmm. language in relation to uh, metaphysics. I think that I think that's where the rubber hits the road, and yeah, if, and if we can if we can sit down and have that discussion, then I think I think we could have a lot of fruitful dialogue that comes from that because we're mm-hmm. we have to realize we're using two completely different sets of categories yeah both both of which are looking back to the fathers for for uh validation of these categories uh-huh. can i actually um i just remembered i had some po- uh, quotes pulled up can i read some on how like you know it can be said that the bread is christ's body i was i was thinking about doing that yeah do That's you want to share your screen uh i could do that sure how do i do that Oh, I just said share. Okay. Share screen. Oh, man. We're, we're done. We might as well end the stream. The other Paul said, Jesus also said, oh, I'm divine. Crap. Wait, can you see my Dang screen? Dang it. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. So, got it. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, I just. Um, with this part specifically, um, Calvin says, so the bread is Christ's body as it assures us certainly of the exhibition of what it represents or because the Lord in extending to us that visible symbol gives us in fact, along with it, his own body for Christ is no juggler to mock us with empty appearances. Hence it is beyond all controversy that the reality is here joined with the sign or in other words, that so far as spiritual virtue is concerned, we do as truly partake of Christ's body as we eat this bread. And then another one that I was um wanting oh, to Oh, you you Nevin over. fiend over there. I see. I see. <laughs> of course, yeah. Nevin. Um, but this one was another uh, really good one from Johannes Wolibius, where um, he says we do not deny the presence of Christ and His body and blood in the sacramental action, apart from the fact that a divine person is present also by His. Whole- Wait, this is the wrong quote. Darn. Um, actually, I posted it on Twitter, so I'm gonna go to Twitter real quick. Oh man yeah um it's right here he says um ludwig crocius horrible name but he says christ's body and blood are things present in the supper neither locally nor in any physical way but truly and really without any fiction united with the bread and wine by sacramental union on a mystical analogy and relation which is not fictitious but true and real conjunction of the pact and then for the last quote i wanted to read this from um the colloquy of worms it was said by beza But he said, we confess that in the supper of the Lord, not only the benefits of Christ, but the very substance itself of the son of man, that is the same true flesh, which the word, yes, substance, which the word assumed into perpetual personal union are not only signified or set forth symbolically, typically, or in figure like the memory of something absent 
but are truly and really represented, exhibited, and offered for use in connection with symbols that are by no means naked, but which so far as God who promises and offers is concerned, always have the thing itself truly and certainly joined with them. Then this is a very important part, whether proposed to believers or unbelievers. So you can uh, switch my screen now so we don't get colloquy of colloquy of Beza, more like colloquy of based uh <laughs> yeah no, it's a but um is a colloquy of verms but you get what i was saying yeah but the the thing is is that again i think a common critique levied at the reformed and i actually just had somebody say this to me on twitter like i think yesterday but it's the idea that our faith is what makes christ present when in reality <clears throat> christ's actual body and blood are really exhibited to us in the in the supper and um Calvin, now I'm thinking about, I have another quote in my mind that I didn't write down. I'm probably not going to be able to find it now that I think about it. But Calvin basically says that um, when you saw like the, the dove descending on Christ and his baptism, that was, you know, the dove itself, the bird is not the Holy Spirit, but it really did exhibit the spirit to us. And so it was like a very pregnant sign. So it's, again, this is the idea of signs. Now, when we hear the <laughs> word sign, we, we freak out and we're like, Oh, mere symbol, mere sign. When in reality, no signs in the pre-modern view were very pregnant with meaning, and they actually participated in the yep. thing they signified. Plainness and moment. and Dar so. Darwell Darwell Stone is going to go over that when you have you have certain Baptists like what's his name? Uh, what's the one? What's the one Baptist dude that's like, oh, I have my new view over the Lord's Supper that nobody else thought of. <laughs> you remember that guy? Oh, it was on uh, Mike's. No, 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 no. Um, it's does what? he have like a hat on Twitter? No, 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 no. He like. Oh, I'm thinking of the Jedi, the Jedi Baptist guy. <laughs> the, the one, no, the one dude that uh, that uh, on Father James Gad Gad's channel, uh, John Fisher 2.0. Oh, Stephen uh, Nemish. Yes, yes, that guy. Yeah, he's yeah, gonna yeah, point. Yeah. He's gonna point to Father Z like Locke. They said sign, symbol, figure, form. <laughs> like, like, yeah, he has like you, a phenomenological approach. Have you have you ever read like any like classical scholar who who explains what those terms mean in in antiquity? Like it's yeah. it's not referring to a mere sign, mere symbol, mere figure, uh -huh. mere form. No, yeah, yeah just... no, definitely not. And that was the thing with the reformed is they use the sign language a lot. But the thing is, is that with the sign language, there was a there was an actual exhibition with the sign of the very thing signified. And like I said, with that one quote, the guy whose name I forgot because it was weird, but there's a sacramental union. Now, a lot of the Lutherans like to explain their view with sacramental union. So if you ever say it in front of like a Lutheran, they like overload and like have like an aneurysm or something. But like we also <laughs> in the reform, we use that as well, where there is a sacramental union and your faith does not make Christ present. Rather, your faith is that which recognizes Christ's presence and therefore receives Christ. Matt Colvin. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He, my boys, a, he, the Irenics are here. Well, probably just Jonathan. He's at he's at uh Davenant. Yeah, I think he's wrong. Hmm. But I won't say much more because he's at Davenant, so I don't wanna <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to lose that sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, I forgot you're sponsored and I go to school there. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. um I thought there was another question in here. Yeah, I'm the vine boom roasted. Okay, what are your what are your thoughts on the words institution? Um, well, I think that when you define a sacrament, basically I would follow Augustine where he says that the word comes to the element and that makes it a sacrament. So I would say that the, or are you asking like is means is or. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just keep going. I think that's what. I think that's what. Oh, that, is means is. What, uh, yeah. I don't I think know. I'm that's debunked. No, you're debunked. Um, I think that. Yeah, I think that Christ, when he said, uh, "This is my body," basically he's saying, "This is his body," and or I wouldn't take it like literal. Obviously, I, I don't really. I didn't think of that off the top. I I can't really think of why off the top of my head right now. I could I could get back to you, but no, it's just. You know, I wouldn't say that it means is means actually is to the Lutherans okay. in the chat. I need to. Yeah, I, I think what's so. Yeah, this is this is kind of where I get I get this is where all my annoyances come up. So so first, I think that some of the, the worst argument, I don't know if you use this argument, the worst argument that you'll hear from from the reformed, which they're not really self-conscious when they're making this argument, but they say that the, in, in, in Holy scripture, that the sacrament is referred to as bread. Therefore the papist must be wrong. But I think the reason that this isn't self-conscious is, is, is the fact that we could flip it on its head and say, okay, we can say it's bread insofar as it's the accidents of bread being present. We can say that with much more faithfulness than the reform can say that it's the body of Christ <laughs> and in the, in the fact that there's, there's an idea of um, objective instrumentality yeah. going on here. Honestly, I think the reason I couldn't really come up with something off the top of my head is because I always hear is means is means is means is. And like, at that point, my brain just shuts down. as like meme argument. Do not care. So <laughs> I didn't actually take the time to like think over why is doesn't necessarily like, you know, mean Bro, t- t- take, take the L absolutely debunked. Yeah. I literally debunked. got debunked, but I just, Matthew, some, if Matthew I gets hear debunked a dumb... live on air. <laughs> but if I hear like the, the is means is arguments too much, I just like shut down. Cause you'll have an entire discussion with somebody about like the actual structure of what's being said. And they just like, is means is. And I'm just like, okay, I can't. Have yeah. Because I mean, nobody, so when it comes to the way in which language is used with more or less propriety, I mean, because there'll be some there'll be some Protestant theologians that will argue, well, nobody says is means is like everybody like nuances it in some degree. And they're and they're right. Mm-hmm. Is that when we're talking about is um, in the sense of the words of institution. We obviously have to make some nuances when we say this yeah. is my body. We're not referring to a hunk of flesh, which is just dropping on the patent after the after the consecration happens. That's not what yeah. we mean by is. So we have to nuance our is, okay, is it referring to per accidents? Well, well no, we're not saying it's is per accidents. Are we referring yeah. uh, per substantia? Well, yes, we're referring to per substantia as per, per the substance of the thing is is the body of Christ. And then, mm-hmm. and then others are going to say that is means it according to the fact that it is that instrument of perception, which is, which yeah. is um, it, you'll, you'll hear it like uh, with Turretin will bring up the idea that in, that God is a rock, that in sacramental language, that there is this uh, instrumentality that can, can be referred yeah. to as the thing itself and blah, 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 blah. So, so it's not, it's not that simple when it comes to the words of institution. Yeah. I am. Um, I haven't read, uh, I actually haven't read, uh, let, no, I haven't read Turretin on the supper yet. I mainly read him on like baptism and justification, mainly justification. I've read a lot of Turretin on, but I haven't read him on the supper yet. So it's not, it's not bad. It's some of the, some of the best debunking of transubstantiation out there. <laughs> some of the best debunking. Yeah. That's like, Al- what, uh... although I've noticed in Turretin as I, as I read <clears> more now as a Romanist, like having, having read some of the, um, some of the manuals of theology that were around during the day of Turretin, I, I don't think in some places that he represents the Roman Catholic view the the best way. 
So I mean, yeah, I see that a lot when I'm, um, when I read like a lot of the reforms on transubstantiation, sometimes like, especially like Luther, if you read him on transubstantiation, it's just like, dog, is that? (laughs) So he said, he said he, 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 according to Luther, he knew, he knew, uh, Aristotle better than that wicked man Thomas ever did. (laughs) Yes. Did St. Thomas even know his Aristotle? So the other Paul says to give the controversial take is does not necessarily refer to ontology. I don't think this is appreciated by real presence proponents as much as it so be. What, what do you think of that, Matthew? Um, is does not necessarily refer to ontology. Um, I mean, like that's a claim. Uh, yeah, I, I think I don't di- well, disagree or agree with it. I just you know like I don't know what, what like, makes like what do you what makes it, what makes other Paul would you be able to. What makes this so difficult is that we're having this text that could refer in multiple different ways. It, I mean, mm-hmm. technically, the memorialist view can be used with his, like just purely yeah. technically speaking. But what we have to do in order to understand uh, this reference of is, okay, first we're going to look at the rest of Scripture. What does it say? Okay, we go to John 6. Okay, we're going to go to um, 1 Corinthians 11. Okay, we can kind of rule out the memorialist view. There's still other views on the table. Okay, let's go to the earliest fathers. Let's see how the church has received it. Let's see. Let, let's see the mm-hmm. consensus of the church and such like that. That's how we're. That's how we're gonna. That's how we're gonna untie this knot. Not just by saying like, okay, um, I guess I'm just gonna be be edgy like memes. Memes. I think that's his name. I'm gonna be edgy like memes and just just put forward like whatever the heck I feel like it. Just just because yeah. um the reading because Tertullian used the word sign like come on <laughs> yeah no but i um but like i think about it a little more like the is means is thing and i think that um, i'm trying to like remember some of my reading i've done because a lot of them um and the anti-lutheran polemics they go because honestly i think the lutherans use the is means is more than the romanists and it's really funny because in the um ref- the reform polemics against the lutherans they make the case that the, the papists have a greater claim to saying is means is because the bread is Christ's body. It's not bread anymore. Whereas for y'all, it, it's still bread. So, you know, they would say, if you really want to take it literally, become a transubstantiationist. So, but, dab based, based reform <laughs> theologians. Yeah. But, <laughs> but um, if I kind of think about it, it's just, I would basically say that the is is, you know, referring to it as a sacramental sign. And again, remember yeah. sign does not mean completely separated. So that's just how I would think about it. And it doesn't necessarily always mean literal. I think that um, Beza kind of makes the argument, I- I'm totally going to like import modern categories into this, but Beza basically makes an argument, which is kind of similar to this. I was like, when I say, oh, this ice cream, this ice cream is heaven or something like that. It's not literally that. Now, of course, that's a very like, you know, the separation of the ice of cream. What- but the goodness of the ice cream, ice cream, insofar as we enjoy that goodness, we are participating in some sense in the eternal good. So you know that that's a very good way to explain. And insofar it. as ice cream that. has being, it's participated being and not being per se. So <laughs> you're kind of right about that one. Yeah, yeah, but essentially that was kind of like similar art. I, I really need to re- I need to like read up on the is means is stuff. I brushed it off as a meme too much, and now that I'm on the spot, I can't say anything that that's well rounded. <laughs> jo- Jonathan Jonathan absolutely deboomed to the reform view in the Eucharist. <laughs> Yeah, I saw too many. I need to like make like those like super like microwave looking memes where just like is means is like Luther in the background or something like that. Because that's just how I, I kept reading. What you got to do is you got to make like a ninety like tweet thread on is means is. Yeah. Okay, Justin the Catholic. He's he's debunking the Reformation right here. 
The Reformation was a looting operation from the beginning, especially in England. Calvin principally synthesized Christianity with proto-capitalist ideas of usury. Jewish. Now we're all debt slaves. Uh, theology was sprinkled on the dead body of Western United Christendom to frame the victim. And then we got Ivan bringing, bringing the lore even deeper. That's why Switzerland is so rich and influential politically still today. Just see palaces of Davos or St. Uh, Gallo. So would you like to respond to wow. these claims? I want to... Justin the Catholic really just completely debunking Protestantism. This is terrifying. Reformation was a looting operation. <laughs> um, I, that's a very interesting claim, big guy. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying no. <laughs> I, I don't really Man, know like what to address Man, you, there. You, it's just the the, ch the chat is absolutely debunking the reform. By the end of this, you're gonna you're gonna be getting received into the church, right? I'll be yeah, I'll be joining on Easter now. <laughs> no, but the ref. I don't know what to address there. It's just like it's just a bunch of claims that like I don't believe. Oh wait, is is Derry is Derryberry right here? Oh, I, I hope Derryberry liked my thing about referring to uh, Turretin. Uh, let me let me know if Derryberry liked my reference to Turretin talking about uh, certain Old Testament texts and how they can use sacramental language but not mean it after um, an ontological manner. Uh, an ontological, I mean substantial. So uh, yeah, yeah let me know. Let me know if Derryberry liked that. Justin the Catholic's claims are definitely very unique. I've never seen those before, and I've read through um, who did I just who did I just read through? I've read through a lot of uh, Roman Catholic history of like the Church or whatever, and like some of them, some of them treat uh, the the Reformation a little more charitably than others. But I haven't seen that one before. That he Calvin principally synthesized Christianity with proto-capitalist idea of user. I think I think Calvin's Calvin's user usury support was a bit cringe. Not gonna lie. I, I am I'm not like caught up with that. I haven't like looked into that. I did he support usury? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. He did. Um becoming a Romanist. <laughs> yeah, he was he was actually he's he's known for being one of the first ones to 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 support usury. Oh, uh, that's really interesting. And so then sad. and then a lot of times a lot of times papists will will uh, by papists I'm referring to myself. <laughs> yeah, of course. Papists, <laughs> Roman Catholics will uh refer to uh to that idea of um that idea of Calvin first bringing upon usury as as the uh, Judaizing of of Calvinism, because that that that's, is a big that's a big claim that's actually shared by Lutherans and and uh, Romanists when when we refer to to the Reformed as being um, as being uh, Judaizers. Judaizers, yeah. Okay, that's Especially actually really funny stuff. That's really funny because I was just reading. Um, I think it was Calvin's like a, a short treatise on the supper, and he claims that in um in a Romanist worship that it actually is Judaizing to a lot of degrees. So it's funny. Like one of the biggest polemics in the Reformation era was like, "You're the Judaizer. You're the Judaizer." That's like did you did you see that section from the Beza Sodomite poem? Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't watch the whole stream. <laughs> It said, like, theologians in the 16th century polemics could hardly um, have polemical <laughs> treatises without accusing each other of sodomy or atheism. <laughs> That's and then, so good. And then somebody responded, and they're like, resourcement, question mark. <laughs> bring back our, class bring back our <laughs> classical so reformational heritage. Yeah, classical reformation. No, but now you, you accuse someone of Judaizing, and it's just like, they, you know, the ADL cancels you, you know? <laughs> just wow! Well, do <laughs> How do I even do good polemics now? 
Yeah. So basically, uh, Bill Clinton, it depends on what your definition of is, is. Yeah, this this whole uh, conversation. <laughs> okay. I think uh, I don't see anything else in the chat. Anything else you would like to discuss? I got to get going. I got to go to work. Got to be a slave, a wage slave. Oh, look at that. Well, that's neat. Well, um, I guess before I'd go, I'd like to recommend, I'd like to give some book recs on what you want, what you could read if, whether you're Protestant, whether you're Roman Catholic, what you could read uh, to better understand the reform view of the supper. So if you want something that's pretty in-depth and directly engages transubstantiation in the Roman Catholic position, I would highly recommend um, Peter Martyr Vermigli's Oxford Dispute, boo. Oxford Disputation and Treatise on the Eucharist. This is very good. He engages, he directly engages transubstantiation, uses the Father's Law, puts out his method of interpreting the Father's as well, because, you know, there's a lot of people that just mind the Father's and don't actually look at context. So yeah. Vermigli tries to lay out how to properly actually do patristic uh, exegesis. Um, I would also recommend, if you want a more kind of like, not really modern because it's, you know, it is written in the 1800s, but John Williamson Nevins, The Mystical Presence is fantastic. Uh, it goes through a lot it. of the historical data and things like that. And it kind of tracks how a lot of the a lot of the modern reformed of that day became very cringe and like Neo Zwinglian and how they did stuff. And he kind of tracks that. And um, so I would definitely recommend reading that. Also, John Calvin's A Short Treatise on the Lord's Supper. Take you like maybe 30 minutes to read. It's also very good. And this one I just read yesterday, and I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, if you want a good devotional reading on the supper that like that gives a reform view, and it's also just like the most beautiful thing to ever read, the Lord's Supper by Thomas Watson is incredible. And he also uses. Uh, I also really liked them because it felt like I was reading the Fathers because he uses a lot of typology and how he does stuff. And he quotes Song of Solomon a whole bunch and uses that in reference to the Eucharist. So um, that one's definitely really good. But yeah, I'd recommend those if you would like to catch up on your reading. So uh, yeah, I hope y'all enjoyed. Sorry, I yeah. got debunked on as as means as guys. So I'm putting all the. Give me one second. I'm putting all the links in the description and then thomas watts yeah watson he's a he's a really good dude he does yeah. his commentary his commentary on um the shorter catechism is it's a really good devotional work i mean i think that's something that we especially can can gather a lot from from the reformed tradition is their devotional tradition although we have yeah. our own devotional tradition <laughs> but uh yeah just Watson was just like fantastic though, and how he like uh lays out a lot of this typology and um out al- he uses allegory a lot, which a lot of people don't think that and the Protestants do, but no, no, you know, we do allegory too sometimes. <laughs> allegory to electric boogaloo. Yeah. <laughs> so That's yeah, what so uh reading um yeah, I think something really good about the the reform tradition, uh especially within the stream of the puritans is the ability to um meld together doctrine and devotion within the same pieces Mm -hmm. i I think that's a very um respectful respectable not respectful respectable thing to be able to do uh not many people are able to do it well but the reform tradition really is able to like uh, petrus von maastricht um yeah volume three three, just came out yeah it's have you got it I just got um, done reading the volume one that you sent me. I'm, I'm, yeah, volume one, volume two is great. And then volume three, I'm waiting until it comes out on um, on Lagos. And then I'll buy it. Uh, 
So yeah, you can, and then you also, can uh, voice dream read that. <laughs> shh, don't tell my secrets. <laughs> uh, never mind. Okay, so I think that's I think that's all. Okay, so thank you for coming on tonight, and thank that's you all for I have. Me. So it's Lent, everybody. Do penance, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Glory.